Hello and welcome to That Film Studio. I'm Jason. And I'm Luke. In this episode, we've got another movie review, and this time we're looking at The Bubble. Directed by Judd Apatow, The Bubble is the comedy film co-written with Pam Brady. The movie is out now on Netflix, but if you haven't watched The Bubble yet and you want to, go watch it first before listening to our full review. We will be talking spoilers. The film features an ensemble cast that includes Karen Gillan, Iris Apatow, Fred Armisen, Maria Bakalova, David Duchovny, Keegan-Michael Key, Leslie Mann, Kate McKinnon, Pedro Pascal, Gaz Khan, and Peter Serafinowicz. Luke, you have the plot. Sneaking out, hooking up, melting down. The cast and crew of the blockbuster action franchise Cliff Beasts attempts to shoot the sixth installment while in a quarantined pandemic bubble at a posh hotel. I'm just going to say this straight up. I enjoy Judd Apatow films. I find them quite funny. Some are a lot better than than others. You know, things like 40-Year-Old Virgin, Knocked Up. I even like This Is 40. Um, King of Staten Island was a very good film. And then here we are, Judd Apatow, a Netflix original. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, What to expect? I'm going to say it now. I found this movie pretty funny. I found myself laughing. I <laughs> found myself laughing more to than um, I usually do at Netflix original comedies. Yeah. I, That's good to hear. Straight up, Honestly, straight up, I just want to say big tick for the comedy. It worked for me. It worked for me. Well, this is something that I watched with a wife. And before watching it, mates of mine had watched it and said maybe they laughed once or twice. But mm. overall, not a good film. I'm like, oh, okay. I was still into the idea of watching it because of the talent involved and not just Apatow, like the cast. I mean, this ensemble, it is such a good cast. So I was still into it, into the idea of watching it. And yes, I had a better time with it than than they did. But what I found interesting, before we even knew what this movie was, during the promotional campaign that started in early 2022, the film was initially advertised as Cliff B6, The Battle of Everest, Memories of the Requiem. Now, I remember sharing that poster with you, and you were like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> what is this shit? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't really know. But it wasn't until they put out a teaser that revealed the actual title of The Bubble. And then they put out promotional mock posters for Cliff Beast 1 through 5. Crazy. I love the marketing approach for this. And, and to be honest, when it's a Netflix film, they don't usually bother. You'll get a one sheet. They'll put some trailers out there. They don't promote things too hard because I guess the assumption is that everyone's got Netflix and they'll find it <laughs> Everyone does, somehow. Yeah. Uh, Netflix are most terrible people, with them. Most people. <laughs> but I love the the approach to the promotional campaign. I thought that was excellent. And again, just looking at the, at the cast is fantastic. I mean, surprising nobody, Leslie Mann is in this film. I mean, it's a given, isn't it, at this point? 
for the longest time, I thought both his daughters was, were, were in this film as well. Um, turns out it was only the one of them. Uh, that's that's fine. And not the one from that Euphoria show. I definitely thought it was that one, but it's the other oh, one. Oh, right. Is it not? Oh, no, I, I thought it Euphoria. was. I, I assumed it was. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was Maud Apatel in this movie. It's actually Iris. Okay. <laughs> oh, right. And to be honest, it wasn't until near the end of the movie when the wife pointed out uh, and corrected me because I was like, they, I mean, the sisters, they look the same, man. They look the same. It was, it was rough. So, of course, you get in those tropes of um, an Apatow, a movie. Um, he puts his wife and a daughter or, or two of them in the movie. Who knows? Um, but just, I just want to say, though, to her credit, I mean, Leslie Mann, like, she's not in this because of her husband. I mean, she's been doing movies for as no, long as I can remember. Yeah. And not like going back to Big movies. Daddy with Adam Sandler. And yeah, she's done so many films, but just so happens to be married to the writer director <laughs> of this film. Although then you like, you create that Judd Apatel and Adam Sandler connection. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, no, no discredit to Jackie <laughs> Sandler, but Leslie Mann has a lot more credits to her name. On that comparison, yes, yes. Um, look, going into this, um, I don't normally do this, but. I was discovering the sort of a few reviews and stuff that were coming in about this movie. And as a general sense, this movie has not been rating well. Um, pretty, pretty low, like rotten tomato scores and then stuff like that, which of course aggravated the, the majority of people don't really rate this movie that high. That's uh, that's just, yeah, so, I did see that. So when it did come time to start this movie, I was a little bit like, Oh no! This could uh, this could be a, a misfire uh, from Judd Apatow. But again, look, I, I found myself laughing quite a bit through this, and there's a few little clever things throughout the way. So let's how about we just get into it and talk about this this movie? Look, the the general premise. I mean, the the premise is amazing. It's um they're trying to finish a film under the you know during pandemic times they've created this quarantine bubble that they need to work in this is something that really has happened um for two movies in particular and there is a moment in this movie where they do point out that other movie and uh, one of them is much like uh cliff beast a, a dinosaur flick jurassic world dominion as well as uh, mission impossible what is it seven and eight or whatever number we're up to now yeah, they're shooting them back to back, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So they've created these these actual quarantine bubbles where production will take place to save, you know, the cast members, cast and crew from going out, getting, you know, contracting uh, COVID nineteen and bringing it into the studio and causing shutdown and delays and all of that. Obviously, this is a sensationalized um, sort of the the worst possible outcome that could happen from this kind of scenario and they have fun with it there's a yeah again with the comedy like they're taking there's a few jabs at the movie industry you know during the height of the pandemic um a lot of commentary on like sort of actors and sort of being i guess entitled or spoiled um there's even a bit of commentary on the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World franchise, which I got a kick out of. There's a few things here. You start it's talking. Good that you, <laughs> it's good that you enjoyed those jokes at the expense of Jurassic World, knowing what how much of a big fan you are. 
No, but I've, the, the jokes were I've real. Be honest, like, right? they're, 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 yes, they were honest. <laughs> Watching this movie right, on Netflix, it felt like I was watching a TV series. And that's yeah. not necessarily a negative towards this movie. I think a lot of it could maybe like to do with the cast, although, you know, for the most part, we're talking about actors from film, but there is a lot of cast members here that we do know from TV, whether it's Cameron Gillan starting on Doctor Who, David Duchovny, the X-Files, Keegan Michael Keyes, you know, Key and Peel, The Sketch Show, Kate McKinnon, SNL, Peter Serafedovich, we know from Space, The Tick. And it just goes on and on. Gus Khan, I've seen him do a lot of TV. Rob, Del- Rob Delaney, we've got Samson Ko, who's currently seen in Our Flag Means Death. So I was just getting like a strong TV feeling from it but of course this is a two-hour movie you make a good point you make a good point and you also use that to um to list off a lot of the the major names in the cast which is also good as well but yeah you're right like a lot of the names are even though you know a lot of them have done movies and some pretty big movies um as well yeah they've all had their time in the television world or they've started in television those lines are, are blurring these days anyway uh, but again, and you know, you mentioned the two-hour runtime. If anything, maybe this movie does go over. It does go a bit long, but I, I feel like it does. It does. That's uh, yeah. That's very in tune with Judd Apatow's comedies. Well, I uh, was just going to say for Apatow, that's quite short, but yeah, I get yeah and it is usually a lot of um, <laughs> you know, that usual like awkward. Many takes were done, and they've pieced together different like. <laughs> You know, just what, what I thought was what I thought was interesting is that you've got Karen Gillan's character, Carol Cobb. We actually see her journey returning to this film, and then everybody else just turns up. So as you're watching it, you're thinking, "Oh, okay, so she's our reference point. Like we're we're going to be having her." Although it's an ensemble, you think, "Okay, so we're primarily going to follow this character," and that's what I was thinking as the movie began but when you get to the end credits she's actually top build and everybody else is listed in alphabetical order found that interesting one was i feel like that's fair she i mean you you said it just there like she kind of is our main character you you probably you get her on screen the most um we're probably checking in on her the most like the the character and, and her struggle it really is you know, we start with her and pretty much, well, we finish with a, a bunch of them. But, yeah, I feel like she is the mainstay in terms of our core story and then everything else is sort of subplots or just different situations, circumstances happening amongst it. So we get time with each, you know, other characters and bits and pieces, but she is our, she's our mainstay. And she's, she's delivering a good, like, She's just a, I think she's just a delight to watch on screen regardless. Oh, she, yeah, I didn't relate on too thick. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> I've said before good, on the podcast that she just should be casted in everything. <laughs> she should be in all the films, all the TV shows. I think she's great. I really do. So, yeah, there was... Honestly, with this film, I had so many hooks, and she was one of them. I want to see it for her. I want to see it for this piece. I want to see it for this person, the concept. 
a lot of it had me interested, but at the top of the list was her. So it makes sense to me that she's top build anyway. I love, um, you know, like we've got David the comedy and he's, I love it when he does comedy. I just feel like it's so dry, but like seems very sincere. Um, there's always a bitterness to it. It, it, it just really it doesn't happen often. Mm. I, I mean, I was getting but the best big evolution vibes. Yeah, I was going to say the best example of him doing comedy is evolution. Mm. But like pairing him with Leslie Mann in terms of like, you know, like they're a married couple sort of separated, but sort of rekindling on set, but there's still that drama. It's, I don't know, like just an interesting uh, dynamic there. You've got Pedro Pascal, sort of kind of just a horny, creepy guy that's sort of lingering around, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, trying to trying to woo like the, you know, one of the hotel staff in um, uh, Annika, played by Maria uh, Bakalova, who made her debut on um, in that that Borat sequel. Honestly, straight away I turned to my wife and said, I think that's Borat's daughter. She's like, what are you talking about? I think that's Borat's daughter. Okay, good. You've confirmed it. It is. <laughs> Fantastic. And then, you know, like, again, like with David DeCobb. Their scenes are great, though. Their, their scenes are great. It was a one-night stand. She wants love. <laughs> she wants love. Hey, it gets it. And then even... Um, you know, Pedro Pascal, he has a moment with the Daisy Ridley cameo, um, which is a bit of a conflicting sort of Star Wars uh, mind boggle there if you really read into oh, it. No, it's a nice, it's nice intimate. Star it's Wars intimate. connection. It's, it's bizarre, yeah. but it's intimate. <laughs> it's, you know, kind of funny. And so she's one of many cameos that we get in this film. Oh, there's a whole lot like James McAvoy rocks up at the end as himself. Again, a, a good gag there. Like, you're running. I don't think you should be running during a pandemic. <laughs> like, oh, John, no. why, why not? It doesn't seem like you should be. He tackles <laughs> it to the ground. John Cena's there as like a choreography, like uh, action, like coach coming in remotely. The, the feed isn't great. He's buffering. John Lithgow's there for like two lines <laughs> as a studio executive. The the artist Beck is in this for some reason. Um, I mean, I'm not familiar with him, if I'm honest. <laughs> so it wasn't until I was doing prep afterwards. Oh, okay, cool. Like indie music, uh, indie music. Like it is a thing, but he's become, I know, I know. He's become a lot bigger. Yeah. Um, Benedict, apparently, Benedict Cumberbatch is actually credited as himself. Which is I'm, weird. I'm not because... sure if it was him or just... Uh, well, like I found the same thing you found. Like Everywhere that I've looked he's credited as playing himself in this film appearing in a drug induced hallucination. So he is actually credited as making an appearance in this film. I thought it was just CGI because at times it kind of looked like him, but didn't. And I guess that's what they were going for. Like it just but looked like actually... the, like a filter or what you call them. Like the, that's it. What like are the kids Yeah. The deep, deep fake. fake. That's it looked, it looked like an effect, but a, but he's credited as being part of this movie, whether that's just because of uses his likeness, but it's not like John Cena. But then again, like you've you've said it, John Cena as Steve, he's just on a tablet. Mm. It could have been at home, it could have been anywhere. <laughs> like it is just literally phoned in apart. Literally. Here, phoned he in. <laughs> Here he is. I mean, at least you know, Kate McKinnon has a character that does, even though she's phoning it in as well, you know. 
That's that's what the nature of how a character is. She's literally in front of a green screen. Well, on she's a playing telephone call, a, a studio call. executive who is overseeing the Cliff Beast film, the the shooting mm-hmm. of the new movie, and yeah, so we get fun with her. But I, I think that that plays into me feel like a TV vibe, like. That often happens in TV. Like you get like a quick cameo, and it's someone on a computer screen or phone screen or, or whatever. But at the same time, it plays into the story. Mm, like fine. they're not just going to have her turning up on set for obvious reasons. She's not a part of the bubble. But it's always great seeing her. And yeah, there's. I mean, the the cameos work, but. The Cumberbatch one was the oddest one for me, just because of how it appeared. That was a funny scene, though. I mean, again, like, I found myself laughing. Like it's, they're just getting high, and suddenly they're all, like, yeah, Karen Gillan turns into a man. Which, which I was going to say, it's not just Cumberbatch appearing. All the characters start wearing each other's faces, and it gets weird. And it, it is a funny scene, honestly. You know, like you said before, I was laughing a lot in this movie, like wife and I, we got so far into it and just like I said, so like, you know, even like now, like, I've laughed more than I was expected to do based on what people had said. It, hmm. it is, it's a, it's a funny movie. I do kind of get why, like as, as I, you know, as the movie started and I was watching it, I was like, okay, I can kind of get why people would be like not really into it or not getting it. It's sort of a lot of the jokes, besides the obvious ones where it's like, you know, you're, like physical comedy or, you know, like when they're just sort of struggling with the being isolated and they're just doing wacky things or like, you know, the TikTok dance and stuff like that's kind of blatant, like, hey, look, this is funny times, whatever. I think like the the more deeper jokes about like the movie industry and the pandemic itself and like maybe it's like if you, if you or like the, I guess, like, you know, the, the dinosaur, big dinosaur blockbuster kind of references, if you know the jokes you do, if you don't, Maybe they won't land for you. I, I don't know. I mean, I even laughed at the 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 font that they used over the credits because it was the Jurassic I mean, font. Clearly, <laughs> Jurassic Park. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. You know, you've just mentioned it that I do think because I've experienced this with some film and TV. I mean, you've got to include the pandemic because that's why this movie exists. That's where the story came from. Mm. But some people are living it. Well, not some people. Most people are living it. Everybody's living it, what I'm saying. but And you don't necessarily want it in your entertainment. Like the second season of Morning Wars, or that's just our title here in Australia, but The Morning Show, and it introduces the pandemic. And there's been films like Kimmy with Zoe Kravitz, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to see it. Oh, like... Do you know what I mean? I don't... I like to escape and have yeah. this entertainment, whereas so some people I think could be put off by that. 100%. Like one of the recent seasons of Grey's Anatomy was just all pandemic all the time. And it it was draining, to be honest, that they actually, when they went into the newer season, they basically said, hey, we're now in a fictional sort of future where the vaccine rolled out and the pandemic was pretty much it's gone. <laughs> like they just, they still reference it now and then like, Oh yeah. Like when, you know, back when I was in a coma because of contracting it, but they've moved on because it just didn't work. It was too, it was too grim, too real. But I read something that um, 
Judd Apatow was being interviewed and he was saying, you know, like, obviously, like, they're using the, the pandemic as a subject within this film, but they didn't want to actually have any of the focus be on the virus itself. So they, they weren't going to include any characters who actually have the virus or contracting it. Like, you see characters in this movie, like, um, they'll get the flu but it's actually influenza. It's it's just a general, yeah. they're just sick because, you know, you know. We remember when we used to be sick for normal reasons, um, they've just got the flu. It was, he wanted to create comedy out of how we're responding and dealing with the pandemic rather than the pandemic itself, which I think they did quite successfully. Like, I couldn't help but laugh. And I mean, I suppose we're very fortunate where we are here in, in Perth and WA Australia. Like I know things are kicking off now, but you know, we've been very much, we weren't in any sort of hard times with the pandemic that when I see actors, you know, like these characters getting like the, the, the nose swab and they're like reacting, like it's the worst thing in the world. And they're just like, they can't handle it. I find that funny because that's how I am. When I get a nose swab, I'm like, this is the worst. I, I find humor in all of that. The, the awkwardness of like, oh, what do we do? Do we, do we shake? Do we hug? We can't do that. Elbows. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, we're all a bunch of idiots. Like we're weird. We're awkward about it. We don't know what we're doing in this situation. Everything's very dramatic. I don't know. I found, I almost found a comfort in it because again. Yeah. There's a lot of, yeah. Yeah. The dark there's side. There's a lot of, there's a lot of relatable things in here but they're able to spin it in mm. for comedy so and again like going back to there's things that you know clearly makes us laugh in this movie you know one of the actors that we've not mentioned yet fred armerson is darren egan so he's the former indie filmmaker who's been hired to direct cliff beast six and i want to talk about the actor because i've seen him in a few things now and he usually pops up in things i know he's done his own show, Port Atlantia, which I've not seen. But I don't know. Like, I don't know about this actor. I really don't know. I've, I've seen him pop up in so many things, even shows that I love, like Our Flag Means Death and Toast in Tinseltown. He's a bit or Toast weird. Toast Tinseltown. Just... I just, I don't, <laughs> I don't know about him. I don't know. Like, I don't just want to, I want to review the film and not a person. But whenever he pops up, so I just, I don't know. And it works in this film. And uh, I don't know. What do you think? My main exposure to him is this film. Is this film. Um, I Again, like I've seen him in the odd thing here or there, but mainly... Uh, is in most things, to be honest. Like most comedies you've seen, you might not realise what he pops Yeah, up. that's kind of freaking me out a little bit. In fact, um, you know what? He was in Jane's Silent Bob reboot. He was in that film as well. He was the hitchhiker oh. they picked up. <laughs> wow. But again, like that movie, there's so many people in that movie that... Forgive me for forgetting the hitchhiker. Including this guy. He's in there as well. Bloody hell. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, his character in this in this film, is he, as a director, at first I'm thinking he's going to be very antagonistic. And then it's kind of like he's not, but then he's also kind of creepy. But he doesn't mean to do anything too wrong. He just wants to get this movie done. But then he's sort of, he's got the conflict with like David Duchovny's character. So again, yeah, I don't know. I find the character and the actor kind of off-putting because kind of a package deal in this yeah so i'm taking this movie in i, I don't know okay good yeah so we yeah. <laughs> verdict is out on fred armison well, he's, he's a bit we'll, weird but i'll i'll, I'll 
give them another chance. It's all it's all good. But look, there's there's more. You know, as as we're watching these characters try and make this movie again, there's lots of jokes about the um, you know potentially oh you know our livelihood, the movie industry could collapse and never recover. The only reason I can sit there and sort of find humor in that is because it, it's time has passed and it hasn't collapsed and it is still recovering and it's thriving again. You know, we just had a $2 billion film come out, like things are happening. We are going back to the movie. So I can find comfort in the fact that we were all freaking out and like, you know, it's, there's some, yeah, I don't know. There's some good stuff in here. There's some good stuff in here. You know who I really liked? The mocap guys. Yeah. I didn't know until afterwards. They're actually a double act. There is Alexander Owen and Ben Ashenden, and yep. the two the two double acts. No, not two double acts, they're one double act. <laughs> That's, uh, they're they're performed yes. together and they have their little bits throughout the whole movie. And they're funny. They're entertaining. Like they're a good bit of relief, as well as you know all the main or the other bigger name mm. actors that are in this film. But whenever these guys appear, they're good value. There was one moment where it was almost like they were the um, I forget the name of those two Muppets that sit on the um, you know the, oh, the, the hecklers. Yep. There was one bit where they just kind of they were just commentating, and it was just like. They just sounded like grumpy, like grumpy guy. But other than that, they're they're very much pleasant, light, and like you know, the the first time you you see them in the you know in like the pterodactyl suits or whatever they are, and that's like, do we actually need to be up here? And it's like, oh yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's for eyesight, so they they know what the actors know where to look. Oh yeah 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 yeah, they're gonna let us down. I don't know. <laughs> like, just... yeah, yeah, it's for the eye line. It's so where the actors so the actors know where to look. And um, the the Muppet characters you're talking about, Statler and Waldorf. Right, yes. I um I looked it up. The, when they open they're suspended, when the characters aren't doing too well, and oh, they're thrown up yeah. and they're just suspended. <laughs> Leslie Mann's like, I think she's dead. <laughs> is she is she alive? She's spinning around. <laughs> Hard. Yeah. yeah. It's like they just start throwing up and it's like, you know, you can do this. We can just push through. We had like, nope, nope, can't do it. Yeah. No. I don't know. I found, did you enjoy like the scenes where, you know, like it's like they're in the movie, you see the dinosaurs and the monsters. and it's I enjoyed all... all of that. I really did. It's just yeah, so I... crummy and cheesy and stuff. And then it cuts, it to, is... it cuts back to them on set, green screen. I, yeah, I, but I, just I... when the, where they're doing the movie and obviously they've hired this TikTok star, so they're going to get the dinosaurs to do TikTok dances and it's just ridiculous. And But then it gets extreme as well because we've got the character, I've got to be honest, it sticks out from the rest of the cast. Ross Lee as Mr. Best, the head of security. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? It's like this guy's in a different movie. So when you've got the bit where you've got <laughs> Leslie Mann's character that's trying to flee the set... When he shoots her fingers off. Oh, my God. Yeah, I thought she was I, dead. No, I thought, like, because it's like you just get this, like, burst of red, which is clearly blood. But at first, I thought it was some sort of warning shot, like a paintball or something that he'd fired. But no, her fingers are hanging off. And this character is just extreme. Yeah, yeah. Still it was, it was but, then, but then when the director's talking to the, to, to the studio, they're like, 
We didn't hire him. Who's he? You're like, who is this guy? Who is Mr. Best? I don't know Ross Lee from anything at all. I'm sure I could look him up. But I don't know. He just seems like a bloke off the street that's just in this movie. But again, this is like a um, just a heightened, surreal um, sort of uh, just look at like, okay, we've got to implement all these security measures to stop anyone from trying to escape. And you got like the young girls and they sneak out and have like a bit of a night in the town and then come back. And there's the, um, oh, which one is it? Uh, is it Guz Khan who plays Howie? And he's the one that yeah, escapes. That he, he, yeah, he leaves basically the first time and kicks this all off and... And he bails. He's like, where are you going? To London. <laughs> but then he comes, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> it's to stop him. But, but it comes back at the end, though, because he wants to be in the sequel. It changed his mind. Oh, that's it. Look, speaking of like sequels, the movies, I mean, I do want to talk about like the Jurassic World of it all. Because, I mean, obviously that was, Jurassic World Dominion was the, like one of the first movies, along with like the Mission Possible films, to be like, look, we're going to press on. We're going to keep production going. We're going to create this bubble. And, you know, even though this movie isn't about the making of, it's not actually, you know, about the production and how the experience, well, I've read into it, like, apparently the experience of being in that bubble, creating, uh, making Jurassic World Dominion was actually very pleasant and very well done and all that kind of stuff. This is obviously very fictionalized. This isn't a direct thing about that, but you can't help but think, hey, look, they're making the sixth movie in a blockbuster dinosaur franchise. Um, Some of the comments and commentary that they're making about the franchise so far is um, kind of directly related to the Jurassic films. You know, they're, they're talking about like, oh, no one cares about saving the dinosaurs and having some sort of environmental spin on it. It's like, Yep, that, that was the thing that they did in the Jurassic films. Um, you know, you've got a legacy actor who's come back and, he, you know, he's, he's talking about changing some lines because the movie is essentially turning out to be quite stupid. And the director says, our target audience is kids. Like, that is very much my view on how the franchise, the Jurassic franchise is going right now. Like, it's the, the commentary's there and... I couldn't help but just sit there and be like, oh, wow, we're really getting almost like a Jurassic parody here, like satire. I've got to be and honest, I was right? loving it. When when I reached out to you, I'm like, hey, you know, we're going to look at recording something, and I just suggested that we do the bubble. And I wasn't quite sure if you was going to say yes or no. <laughs> now it's like it's perfect for you to watch a review because I guess – when I asked you if you were interested in reviewing it before I'd actually watched it, and then you're right. Like, I mean, this is, you know, so close to the Jurassic funny, World. The funny thing is, is that I didn't make that connection to, like, the Jurassic films until I was watching the movie. And then I was like, oh, wow, this is, yeah, of course. I was like, what movies have created this bubble? And it was Mission Impossible like and say, Jurassic World. Like, the the opening title sequence, like, That's straight away, I mean, I, I noticed it. Jurassic Park. <laughs> there's so the many. Opened. There's so many subtle things in this movie. Like even to the point where I was like, "What happens at the end?" I'm not talking about like you know when they're they're at like the documentary film premiere thing, but how how does the movie itself end? The characters are in a helicopter, and the helicopter flies away into the sunset. Classic Jurassic. Like that's yeah. Like it. There's. <laughs> All the sun, I think. Like, I mean, they're oh, not hiding it. I can only fly. They, they only train me it. to. They only train me to fly up. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh. I thought you knew how to fly. 
I do. Only up and down. <laughs> up and down. Quick, YouTube something. Does YouTube chill you? There's, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm being silly, but I, this movie is pretty damn funny. And I feel like I'm praising it too much. But I can honestly say, like, I just had a pretty good time with it. And that's it, man. It's, it's your experience. Like, you've, you've obviously yeah. had a good time. I mean, you know, again, like, it never didn't feel like a TV show for me, but that's not necessarily meaning I'm not enjoying it. But it's funny. It is. Mm. It is funny. Um, but I, look, I did like how they did actually wrap up the film. Another mention before, like, it turns out that, you know, there's been this guy sort of filming like a behind the scenes kind of thing. And he's ended up turning it into a, an actual documentary about the making of uh, like the horrible conditions and stuff that were involved in the making of this film. And you end up seeing all the characters come back, sort of attending the red carpet premiere of this documentary. Uh, it, I thought that was a, a nice little twist to sort of wrap up the ending. Cause it's sort of like everyone sort of had a bit of a win and you get to catch up on the characters and, some of them are hooked up and, you know, who's a, who's a couple and stuff like that. Daisy yeah, Ridley's no, back again right. in a very uncomfortable, awkward scene and it's weird. But <laughs> Yeah, you're right. It was a good way of ending it. And then you've got Karen Gillan's character, Carol Cobb, being interviewed by a reporter from E.T. Yeah, she's and the she's villain. Like, <laughs> yeah, about your cat, you're being the villain of the film. She's like, what? <laughs> that, was, that was good. And then... Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was a good way of, um, of wrapping the film. Um, that's it. Well, let's wrap this. Let's wrap this review up. What are you rating the bubble? I think I'm rating it lower than you because you clearly <laughs> had a very good time with this movie, and and I did like it. I did mention at the beginning there that I did start watching it with my wife. She did tap out. She didn't finish. But I <laughs> I stuck with it, and I did finish the film. And there's so much there's so much talent here on screen, you know, in the director, writer, Jude Apatow. And it is a funny film. And it's a comedy. I was laughing, and it's hard not to recommend a comedy that makes you laugh. But I'm not going to go too silly with it. I liked it. I'm going to come in at a three out of five. And fair, and that's fair. And look, this, as much as, you know, like this movie was quite funny to me and I had a good time and the cast is delightful, it's it's probably longer than it needs to be. I feel like it, there's scenes and bits of, it that, of this movie that needs to be sort of refined, tightened, um, maybe reworked a little bit, like, the jokes are still there and they're landing and, you know, again, I'm having a good time. But, you know, you said that the it does have this sort of TV feel. Like the movie does feel kind of, kind of cheap and whether that was a part of, I guess, the overall thing because, you know, it's a movie, it's a movie made during a pandemic about a movie being made during a pandemic. I don't know if there's layers there, but... Yeah, there is something about this that does make it sound like the quality is kind of not quite there. It is a bit disjointed and a little bit all over the place. But when the uh, yeah, when the jokes are landing, they're landing and, and they, they're really working for me. And I do feel like the tone is almost just right. It's almost there. Just a, maybe just a little bit more cooking needed to happen. Like 
they just need to do like a once over, just a once over to sort of fix this up a little bit. Um, but yeah, you're right. I will come in a little bit higher than you. I don't want to get crazy about this. I know the movie isn't up there, but it's pretty decent. I'm going to give it a 3.5. I'm going to go nuts. 3.5 out of 5. I had a good time. And that's that's it. So let's um, do some trivia before we wrap up. Um, I, I figured you would mention all of the promotional stuff, so I didn't want to get bogged down in all of that. Um, I just thought this was a, a nice little thing um, to mention here. Uh, Maria Bakalova, who mentioned, you know, the Borat's daughter, um, she was actually told live on set of this movie um, during a take by Judd Apatel himself that she had been nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress in, of course, Borat subsequent movie film. Um, obviously, the scene did involve um, Pedro Pascal as well, um, and he he did the he went up to her and congratulated her as one would do. But I thought that was really cool to actually be that was very cool. making a film and then have your director of that film come up to you and say, "Hey, hey, you've been nominated for an Academy Award." It's like, well, cool. Do you need your head to get any bigger on set that day? Because it's <laughs> like, yeah. Cool. And you know what? Like, she's really good in this. And we didn't review that Borat movie, but she's so funny. And she she is so good in that movie. And oh, to have she, yeah. somebody come into a Borat movie where Sasha Baron Cohen, he's been doing that character since TV. And obviously that first movie was great and so well received. And then for her to be added as an, a second character and to have to be going toe-to-toe with him, she was fantastic in that. She did, like, what an addition to the um, to the films. Um, oh, I'll admit that that first Borat film, when I first watched it, wasn't my thing. I was probably too young. I probably didn't really understand it that well. Went back to it when the second one did come out and I was like, holy crap, this is so good. This is so smart yeah, and, is. and full on. And then, yeah, just had a kick out of the second one because of, um, I guess, the addition of, of the daughter character. So, yeah, she's a delight. So, good stuff. All right. Well, that's it for our review of The Bubble. Uh, please go subscribe and download this podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. And please leave us a review. It helps listeners just like you find the podcast. We're on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as That Film Stew Podcast. And we also have our companion shows, Rewind and Review and Sounds Like Comics, which each have their own Facebook pages. If you missed it, we recently reviewed Morbius. And be sure to check out our next review, The Northman. You've been listening to Jason and Luke, the guys from That Film Stew. See you soon.